The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. Um, I just want to begin with just saying, you know, uh, Sports Camp was a success and want to be uh, just super grateful and thankful for all of you who kind of helped out this year from people who coordinated the different sports. We had cheerleading, basketball, and soccer, and uh, some of you guys coached teams, so that means you were with kids pretty much nonstop every morning, which was fantastic, and um, some of you guys helped out with the check-in station and keeping papers from flying away, which was a little more chaotic than first graders sometimes. Uh, we also had people work on snacks, the nursing station. Um, some of you hosted people in your home, so that was part of what you, how you donated your time is uh, having a, a home that people could stay in. And many of you guys came out on Wednesday night to, to be you know, hospitable neighbors to, uh, to other folks in the neighborhood and help serve food and just have some healthy conversations. So I want to give you a little bit of uh, just some numbers of what happened this week and what our church got to be a part of and what God's doing. Uh, we had 140 kids sign up. And around each day, we had about 120 kids show up each day in kind of average of attendance. And uh, we had 17 missionaries come from out of state. So we had nine come from Tennessee and eight come from Oklahoma City, which were super, super helpful. But I wanted to know something else that I wanted to celebrate was the 29 that served from right here in our community. That's, that's like all the adults in the room. That's like a lot of adults, right? That's a lot of folks for our size church. So I want to say thank you so much for those of you guys um, from coming out to loaning trucks to whatever you did to, to be helpful. Um, yesterday, or on Thursday, one of the things I offered to the kids after my talk uh, was if you, didn't, if you didn't have a Bible, come see me. And many of the kids came up with, with their coach and every kid I asked their name and asked they, if they had a Bible at home. And we gave away 10 new Bibles to 10 homes in this neighborhood where they didn't have a Bible at home. At least they didn't know about it. The kid didn't know they had a Bible in the home. Right? So at least they now know there's a Bible in their home. And what we want to celebrate the most is we had nine kids give their lives to Jesus this week. Isn't that awesome? Nine kids. That is a ton of kids. And some of those kids were some of our kids, right? Some of us who are parents are like super pumped as they've been hearing about the Lord in their homes and here in Sunday school and in our different meetings that we have as a church. And then at camp where you just kind of, you get to hear the gospel over and over and over again. And you have people praying for you and kids accepting Christ is a beautiful thing. So, um, so if you don't know or if you're new to our church, one thing that we do um, in different seasons is we have a gospel class for kids. And that's something where myself and some youth leaders, we spend 30, 40 minutes with kids before church, like a small Sunday school class for about four weeks, four or five weeks. And we talk to them about what it means to be a Christian, and they write out their story, and we get to ask them questions about, what does that mean to you? And then when we can affirm, when we affirm that, they've, uh, that they're ready to be baptized, and the parent affirms they're ready to be baptized, you know what we do? We fill up a, a horse trough right here, and we baptize people, okay? And also, in, uh, and alongside that, we have a membership class. So some of you guys who are considering uh, becoming members of our church, um, if you want to join our church and you haven't been baptized, that's one thing we want to do for you. If you've never had a place to do that, then we'll have a, a sweet baptism service this fall. So I'm just excited about what God's doing in our neighborhood. Some of those kids go to our church. Some of those kids don't go to our church yet, right? We're going to reach out to some of those families and follow up with them. But let's just close uh, this little intro part with just a, a thing giving to God about what he is doing in our neighborhood through, uh, through this sports camp. Father, we love you. We're so thankful 
that you have allowed us to be a part of uh, new lives in Christ, children uh, that are receiving you and becoming children of God. And what a beautiful story. And the missionaries that got to be a part of walking those students into faith in Christ. May you send those missionaries out. May you send us out to do this not only at sports camp, but in our everyday lives. We are so thankful. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So if you're visiting with us today, uh, we're so glad you came. We're, we're a church who preaches through uh, books of the Bible when possible. Uh, we spent the first uh, couple years uh, studying Matthew. That may sound like a lot, but it takes a while to go through 28 chapters, and we did that. And we spent 20 to 30, 30, 25 to 30 minutes kind of having a sermon or, or, or a talk over uh, what the, uh, the writers of the Gospels and the writers of these books of the Bible intended for us to hear. And we try to, try to open that up and try to apply that to our lives. And when we studied Matthew, we studied that God has this kingdom. And it's a kingdom where King Jesus has come. And he desires to be the king of our lives. And Matthew and the guidance from the Holy Spirit, he wrote down all these wonderful stories of the good news about this Redeemer who've come to restore a relationship between God and man. Jesus lived that perfect life, right? He lived the perfect life that we could not live, but God actually requires. And then he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And on the third day, Jesus rose again to show his power to show that he was God and his power over death. Now, we believe that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And this was the message that our students got to hear this week at sports camp. And in the summer, we started another book. It's not the first book of the New Testament, but it's the first book of the Old Testament, so the very beginning of the Bible, right? And five weeks ago, we started Genesis. And we've learned so far that we have a powerful God that created everything that we know with his words, with his, with his desires of creating. His purpose in this was to put himself, the great, the great God, the great one, the entity beyond us, to be put on display. From the farthest star to the smallest atom on our planet, our God has made this for his own glory. And part of this creation, maybe the middle of this creation, would be us people. And when he created people, he said, you are created in my image. He said this about no other thing that he created. So we're image bearers who are made in the image of God, male and female. But Adam and Eve wanted to have their own power, right? And they ate the fruit, and they sinned, and the fall began. The forbidden fruit was taken this fruit that was offered to give them godlike properties, they said, yes, I want to be godlike. Instead of realizing that they were image bearers of the great and mighty God, they wanted to be their own. And this perfect relationship with God was broken because they were no longer perfect like God. But God did not destroy mankind, but he did punish them. And we learn that God's justice and his mercy as death entered into existence, there was a balance. And God began to pursue in mercy a plan for his future redemption of these broken people. These people that are no longer perfect. He's, I will rescue you. I will rescue you. And then we studied in Genesis 4 about Cain and Abel. 
and the kind of effects that the fall has on relationships that we have with one another. And we learn that this one brother, out of his jealousy, killed his brother. Then we learn last week how the whole earth became full of violence. Kind of this example that we saw in Cain and Abel. The whole earth was covered in this. And God chose to show grace and justice through recreating the world with the flood. This idea where there was, how to just put it, a seed floating on the water, this redemption, this mercy, as he recreates, he creates a space for salvation, an ark that was captained by God but filled with Noah and his family and all the land animals. And Noah was righteous, right? There was this, there was this image bearer that God said, you will now be the seed for future humanity. And God made a covenant with Noah. He said he would not do this again. And he said that he would bless them. But they are to be fruitful and multiply all over the earth. And that brings us to today's talk in Genesis chapter 11. So if you don't have a Bible, we have black Bibles around. Feel free to use those this morning. If you don't have one at home, take one with you. But we're in Genesis 11. And sometimes it's hard to keep in track of like these different like what's where in the Bible, and I always picture the, the number of 11 kind of like a skyscraper, right? Because this is about the Tower of Babel. Does that make sense? So, so I do little things like this all throughout the Bible. It makes me sound smarter than I am, but it's just little like third grade drawings, okay? So the number of 11 makes kind of like a tower. What chapter is the Tower of Babel? 11. Who would forget that? It's like a skyscraper. Right, okay, let's read this together. Well, I'll read it. You can read along with me. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let's make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitment for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left, off the, they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So Genesis is the book of beginnings, and if you've ever thought, where did all these languages come from? Not the ones that are similar, the ones that are like, Chinese and, you know, English or Arabic or other languages that I haven't studied, right? Many languages are very different. Rivers and I got to spend some time in Hungary, and I had four whole years to try to learn to speak this language. And my daughter learned in like six months, and I think I needed about ten more years to just get close to my kindergartner. Languages are hard, right? Languages are hard, and they, they, they cause disconnect 
for a guy who lived in a, in a country where I never really knew what was going on for four years, that's hard. That's hard. So when I read a story about God making languages that are different, I just picture Hungarian being one of those first ones. He's like, well, these guys, they're really going to go pretty far away. Let's give them Hungarian. They're going to really be confused, right? So this we're going to look at today. What is going on here in the Tower of Babel? So as we left off with Noah last week, we heard God give a covenant and a command, right? So we don't just read a passage of the Bible. We see how this passage of the Bible fits with what's going on so far. I gave you a little review before, but check this out. We learned that God would not destroy the earth like this again, and he blessed them, and the people were to go out. And Genesis 9, 7 says this, and you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth, and multiply in it. So the people were to go and fill the earth. But what do we find here in Genesis chapter 11, right? Well, the people, they're kind of migrating together, right? Verse four, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. What's going on? God's like, go, guys. Guys, I'm blessing you. Spread out. You're my image bearers. Go all over the earth. Shine forth who I am over the whole planet. Now man responds with, hey, let's stay together and build a city and let's not be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. This doesn't like, Um, let's build a really tall tower and try to get as high as we can like God is. This is so us. And here the author, we have a God who just created the the world and then recreated it to make it even more clean and told his image bearers clearly what to do. And people respond with, let's make a name for ourselves. So our first point today is we actively seek our own glory. And many passages and many stories of the Bible start with this problem. Basically, who we are and what we tend to do, right? We're number one. We wanna receive the glory. We wanna receive the honor. We wanna receive the respect. For what? Well, for everything that you do that you put your time and money and energy into, right? You wanna get back what you put into things. So if you think of any time that you spent a lot of time planning or you spent, you know, you served somewhere or you helped raise children, right? You put a ton of time. And what happens when you get no recognition? It feels weird. It feels kind of wrong. You're like, no, I raised you. You're going to respect me. You know, there's a certain sort of reputation that there's, we feel like we deserve. And I understand there's a balance, right? There's a balance for this. And even like when I wanted to let you guys know, thank you for going and serving at sports camp this week. Like, I want to recognize you. But there's a balance. And I think many times, most times, we are imbalanced. We actively seek our own glory. Jesus teaches us that the secret humble gift and selfless time is what's honored in eternity. It's what's celebrated right now in heaven. And he goes on to say, any time that you're honored here on earth, he's like, well, there's your gift. 
But if you wait and you do things in secret where you, your right hand doesn't even know what your left hand is doing, you'll be celebrated by God. And there's greater joy in that. And that is the honor that he wants to seek. But what is this principle in Scripture? Well, this comes up often in Bible passages. So if it sounds like I keep bringing it up, it's because it's, it comes up all the time in the Bible. Um, it's these two words, pride and humility. Here's the principle. Pride elevates man. Humility elevates God. Pride elevates man. Humility elevates God. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. This is Paul writing his second letter to the church. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul goes on to expound. Therefore, I, Paul, will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul understands this. But we go all the way back to the Tower of Babel. Men are, have not quite learned this yet. Men are building really tall structures. They're all together. They're focusing on themselves. And this is the reality of what sin does to us. We want to be on top. Literally, they were building a tower as high as possible to make their name great. So seeking our own glory is a problem. So we know this, and we must fight this so that we can remember why God actually made us to glorify him. His power on display. We are weak. He is strong. Look who gets the glory. God. We are dependent on him. So continuing on, let's see how God responds to this mankind building a tower for their own name. Verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. So this really tall tower that man's so proud of, I'm sure, look how high we're getting. I can picture God kind of thinking, oh, they're building something way down there. I should go way down there and see what that big tall thing they think they're building is. So he comes down just to see their really tall tower. That's how big God is. And I think of it like this. When you take off in an airplane next to a big city here in Chicago, there's dozens of skyscrapers, really, really tall, 100, 100 floors. But what happens when you become thousands of feet up? It's flat. It's just a gray spot where you're like, where are the trees, right? These really tall towers are not that tall at all in the right perspective. This is where we're going today. How many things in this life are like this, where our pride and our hearts are so confused with what true glory is? And yeah, and this is, as I was studying this this week, if you take God out of the picture then man can start kind of a pecking order of who is the best and begin measuring ourselves with one another. And this is what our culture has done. 
You know, the Tower of Babel, it's still being built. Scientists, astronomers, you know what they used this year? They used the entire globe to take a picture of an invisible black hole. It was news for half a day. But it's, it took them dozens of years to figure this out, right? And they could just do it because they just built a massive football-sized uh, satellite dish. Like, think of the stations you can get. It's like the size of a football field, right? Like, that big is what, like, okay, now let's try to do this thing. And it still took them two years to render the image. Man, we are doing great things, right? Doctors, right? Doctors can now cut up DNA. Like, chemists can cut up DNA so you can choose the hair color of your child. Way to go, chemists. Way to figure that out. CRISPR, right? Judges. What are judges doing? Well, they're making laws to tell us when life begins. That's powerful. But check this out. These are three of hundreds of things. What's the reality? God does really exist. We do have a God. And you know what he does? He makes black holes with his words. What? Oh, hairs? He knows every hair of every head and can tell you the number. It's his party trick he does. That's our God. He has every single hair numbered. And you know what? God creates life. He doesn't just observe it or make decisions about it. He can make it happen. So, what does God do when he comes down and sees this really tall tower that man's proud of? Let's read verse 6. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language, all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. He did this because of point two today. God actively loves us. He is protecting us. He is protecting his glory. Our loving God knew that man would not be blessed and would not fulfill their purpose and not be fully satisfied by building the city together. As they're seeking their own glory, it's going to be their downfall. Life will not be as full as he designed it. And remember, he already told them what to go do. Fill the earth. Multiply. Be my image bearers. So God decided to give them a push, dispersing them by confusing their communication, and it worked. People left off building the city. Do you see the contrast of God's creativity here? He just flooded the whole planet. And here he's like, I'm gonna change their language. We have a loving God. He disciplines and he trains the way that he wants to. But I hope you see the contrast here. He didn't just give people laws 
and say good luck and then go away. God is actively with the people, loving them. Friends, he actively loves you and he actively loves me. And he wants us to be satisfied with him. And yes, there are many commands. And in God's word, much of life can be explained and understood and give you direction for your life. But God, with his spirit, is actively guiding you through your prayers, through reading the word, through memorizing the word, through hanging out with brothers and sisters in Christ. My prayer is you would use all those to listen to God's spirit as he actively loves you and tries to tell you what to do. You're created in the image of God to enjoy him and to glorify him. And God cares for you. But if you work on building your own kingdom, building your own tower, you know what? God right now could be actively trying to change that. Not because he doesn't like you. It's because he loves you. He's trying to get your attention, redirect you. And it may be very confusing right now because you're going through a bunch of mess. But we have a God who knows that sometimes it takes a little bit of pain to get our hard heads moving somewhere. But he has a plan and he's in control. He's not gonna give you anything that's not out of his love so that you would live out your purpose to be an image bearer for God. He will get the glory. You will get the joy. And in his kingdom, there will be victory. Psalm 149, 4 says this. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. That's good, right? Right? He adorns the humble with victory. So God is actively seeking you. He's loving you and wanting you to have victory. That's a character of who God is. And this idea of humility takes us to our last point today. Character is greater than competency. Competency is this idea of skill. Often we use this word in our workplaces. This idea that, ooh, we can build a tower. Look at our skill set. But what does God care about more? What does God think is more important for you to develop? It's your character. And what's a key for all of us? What's a key to having good character? Fighting pride and seeking humility. It sets up many of the other character traits that we all need to develop in. You see, the people's hearts were focused on self and not on God. What's on the inside is what matters. Yes, there's something special about doing great things like building a skyscraper or building a company or even building one's good reputation. But your competency is capped by your character. If you want to know someone's character or how humble or how prideful they are, what I have found is that you ask the spouse, you ask a family member, you ask a person's kids. A youth pastor of mine constantly shared with students, 
Who you are at home, that's who you are. At 42, I'm like, oh, that's so true, but I hate it because I know who I am. God, save me again, right? God, redeem this wretch that I am. Who you are at home is who you are. How are you building your character? And is that what you're working on building right now? Are you working on building a reputation in some sort of tower so that you will be known by that? As we close, I just want to ask what matters to you most, right? Would you trade your character in to move up at work, to be seen as a certain person in the community or even this church? Jesus nailed this chapter after chapter as we read in Matthew. I'll pick out one of the passages. This is Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And that's why the tower had to be stopped. Because the people thought, look how great I am. But they were losing their soul. So a loving God came and said, nope. Let's stop building towers for our names. My family's gonna go on vacation this, this month to the Rocky Mountains, right? And I think, and as I was picturing this story, I was picturing my seven-year-old son taking some rocks and stacking up as many rocks as he can. He's seven, right? So picture the biggest rock pile he can make. And we're in the Rocky Mountains in a valley next to a creek. And he says, Dad, Dad, look what I've built. And I go, all right, son. That was good work. But you know what a good father does? Look what God built. Look what God built. Look what God built. Let's trust that God, as he blesses us, as he promises, would give us satisfaction as we live a life around his glory and his name. May we be image bearers all over the world, all over our workplaces, all over our streets, so that God is worshiped. Amen. Let's pray.